Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use the code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. This is Spread a Little Love by Mark Wengleski off the album Onward and Upward on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Here we go, guys.
Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to Mark Wengaluski. Now Mark is from Chicago, USA. He is a singer-songwriter and recording artist. Now recently he's brought out his brand new album, Onward and Upward. Now the first track that you heard at the start of the podcast was Spread a Little Love. Now we talked to Mark about his previous bands that he's been in. He recorded his first album with Jay for Jewel and also working at the famous Traffic Jam Bar where he met some of the biggest celebrities and sports stars uh, in US Major League. We also talk about Major League Baseball and his love for the Chicago White Sox. And then we talk about him moving to Shanghai, China where he continued his music career. He is currently working at the Pearl Theatre and he is Bond Scott in the ACDC tribute band. Now, me being a huge ACDC fan, I know that that's one of the most difficult jobs to do, uh, to be able to sing like Bon Scott. He has also done many other tribute shows, and he is also promoting his new album. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig Your Story at podbean.com. We also have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services, including Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, Spotify. We also have a YouTube channel there. Make sure you're subscribing to get all the latest updates. We have WeChat for our Chinese listeners and VK for our Russian listeners. At Tell Craig Your Story. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Mark on... Tell Craig Your Story Podcast. Hi Mark, how are you doing today? Hey Craig, I'm doing great man, good to see you. Good to see you, I don't know why I waved, because we can't <laughs> see, but... Uh... <laughs> I, I can see, so you can see. it's quite friendly, so it's good. <laughs> Thanks for your time, it's been yes. a long time coming, I think yeah. I... I think I may have asked you the start of the year, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe March, yeah. April, yeah. something like that. You've been very, very, very busy with your album. Yes, sir. Performing at different places around Shanghai, most recognized as The Pearl. Yeah. And I've seen you quite a few times there now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let, let's talk about, straight off the bat, brand new uh, release album, mm-hmm. uh, Onwards and Upwards. Yes, sir. Onward and Upward. Onward no, and Upward. No, no plurals. Okay. <laughs> So tell us about this, because this has been a long time coming as yeah, well. Yeah, actually, it's, we uh, started recording in 2019. Right. In, in August of 2019. So it was a little bit of an imperative to push and get it out finally, you know, in an August, albeit three years later. Having been here in Shanghai for a few years, playing around, I got to know quite a few musicians. And, yes. and I, I do a little bit of uh, writing myself, you know, songwriting. And it's like, okay, well, I want to... I write mostly with a band in mind. You know, all the arrangements I'm hearing in my head are, are band arrangements. So I was like, okay, well, I, I can ask people. I, I know drummers and I know bass players and all yeah. that. So I was like, well, I really like this guy on bass, uh, Michael Hiller, a uh, guy from Tennessee. I played a couple shows with him. Really, really solid bass player. Uh, I asked for recommendations on drummers. And they say, oh yeah, uh, Gilbert Kubisami, uh, who used to be here in Shanghai and was a, a, a rock solid player playing, playing with Studio 188. And then he oh. was in a, a, a Mauritius Island band and he was like the, the lead singer and songwriter for that called, uh, oh. ah, he's going to 
kill me because I can't remember the name of the band. Oh, New Killer. New Killer. New Killer. Yeah, was the great uh, the band and uh, solid drummer, amazing singer, and then uh, Nick Bullivan, who was the longtime audio engineer at the the famous Cotton Club. Oh, right. And uh, so I got these guys together in a room and. Uh, we did about three weeks worth of rehearsal, and I said, okay, we're going to record bass and drums and a scratch guitar track at a studio. I got a place relatively cheap for 10 hours, a 10 mm. hour block, and we just, okay, let's do this one. Ran a couple takes, got a nice feel. Okay, let's go to the next one, next one, next one. And then years of just layering and overdubbing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, finding other players like uh, trumpets and. Yeah. Right, there's a song, What You Gonna Do Now? Um, and I asked a Japanese saxophone player named Maida uh, to arrange the horns for me. And I played a little bit of a riff on guitar, what I wanted to hear. And then he took it and ran with it. And uh, there's kind of a funny story about that. I, uh, I wanted to have baritone sax. So it's almost me like me duetting with the baritone right. on it. It's kind of cool. And that's Matthew Chen, amazing uh, Chinese saxophone player who played that. And we got to the point where we did the horns. Maeda played trombone and saxophone on the main main part. We had a, a Chinese trumpet player and a Matthew playing the baritone. Then we got to the point where we said, well, Maeda, I want you to take us out with a really great sax solo. Hmm. Well, he's a jazz player. Right. So he started playing just very kind of, you know, lilting, kind of nice, you know, beautiful, you know, spot on, great jazz solos yeah. I'm like yeah but I, I want to hear you know E Street Band and you know uh, rock and roll kind of saxophone or you know old school R&B kind of yes. saxophone so I kept popping into the, the studio room and say okay you know kind of push it a little more push it a little more and he said okay okay I will and he did another take I'm like I think a little more can you go a little more yeah yeah and we finally got to take five and he did the take you hear and Matthew and myself and the engineer, we all stood up and we started applauding. We're like, wow. that's it, that's it. And he's like, no, no, I can do one more. <laughs> he did another one and we're like, no, no, number five was the yeah. one. <laughs> so that's the keeper for the, for the track. Right. Yeah. And uh, and my friend uh, Yuko Kishi is singing on the record. And then uh, a guitar player named uh, Michael Oyang is playing on the song Catapult Launch because I wanted something kind of... Sounding like Adrian Ballou with a you know twangy, yes. uh, whammy bar kind of thing, and uh, he was in California at the time. He left Shanghai, so I sent him the tracks, and he kept sending me back uh, takes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I like this one. So we got that in there, and then another friend, uh, Ryan Hickey, who was a piano player. I got him before he left Shanghai to do. The piano solo on uh, I'll Do It Again. It's amazing, amazing uh, sort of New Orleans funky jazz piano solo. So, so I'm, I'm, get, I'm seeing a trend as to why it's taken three years. Yeah, yeah. Well, get the, the album out. So. Yeah, and then uh, um, just pulling in these different influences and people. Mm. and Because and like we said before, it's a very colorful sort of uh, album. It has a lot of diverse sort of uh, influences yeah. you brought in. We're going to be talking about music through this, and my my, you know, my favorite band's the Beatles. You know? mm-hmm. So it's it's um, my my feeling over the years has been okay. 
who are your favorite bands? Well, my top ten bands are here, and then there's the Beatles. Right. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I like Crowded House, and I like Squeeze, and Cheap Trick, and all these other bands. But, you know, there's the Beatles, and then those guys. Yes. So, and my favorite album is, is the White Album. And if you... I've come to, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i come come to feel that the White Album is almost like the history of pop music. Hmm. You know, it's got a, a you know, rock and roll, and hard rock, and country and blues and a mixture and so it's like why should I stick myself to writing in one genre yeah, exactly if I can cut, get the feeling of writing in one style write it and then find the people who can fit for it yeah, yeah. that's great idea great idea mm. so let's talk a little bit more about that later alright sure we're going to be talking yeah like you said lots about music yeah let's talk about I mean anybody that comes to China mm-hmm. has a story Right. I mean, you've got to be a little bit courageous, you know, to come here by yourself. You don't have any sort of family here. Right. It's not like going to the US or coming to Australia. Right. Wanted to talk to you. You said that in between the album mm-hmm. uh, was COVID. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were here as well. Right. Well, that was I'm another... On, and I'm on, so, sorry. No, I was going to say, that's another reason why it was delayed a lot delayed. because... Yeah. Okay, are we are we going to survive? Right, <laughs> you know, yeah, live shut, through this. So shut down. Right. So a lot of people from Australia are always interested to hear the people that were actually so close. Mm-hmm. So tell us about uh, where you were, uh, what you had to shut down, and and your family staying safe. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I was here the whole time. I, I hadn't left Shanghai at all. Mm. I mean, I remember in January of 2020, you know, it's like, okay, we're getting ready for another Chinese New Year. Yeah. Okay. You know, a little bit of slowdown. And uh, I think Chinese New Year that year was early, if I remember. Yes. And uh, you start hearing little noise about, oh, yeah, well, something's happening in Wuhan. Okay. If you've lived in China any period of time, you hear, oh, well, you know, something like, Heilongjiang's got a swine flu outbreak, or there's a bird flu in Yunnan. It's like, okay, well, it stays in Yunnan, it stays in... I'll stay away from Heilongjiang, I won't go there. And then you started hearing more stories about Wuhan, and it started getting a little bit bigger. Then Chinese New Year happened, and the streets got really quiet, as as they usually do here. People... Millions of people. It's the the biggest migration of humans on the planet during Chinese New Year. Yeah. Uh, Millions of people go home to their homes. So the streets got typically quiet, but then they started to stay quiet. And I said, okay, talking to a couple of friends here, it's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, let's see what happens and started preparing I was buying bottles of water and yeah. sailing you know so like concerned about the supply chain okay says so all these people these truck drivers and, and workers went home for Chinese New Year that's going to affect goods coming into the big city yeah, yeah. so okay well let me scoop up the water I want to get Went into the local grocery stores, and of course, the first thing that was gone off the shelves were all the instant noodles. Yeah, there, was, there wasn't a bowl of instant noodles yeah. to be found anywhere. <laughs> so I was like, so I was good. I had you know seven gallons of water set mm. aside. I bought uh, five kg of rice. Had some pasta noodles. I bought a couple of jars of pasta sauce. Mm. But I kept checking for fresh vegetables. And uh, would be okay with that or music? I said, okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk loud enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I just kept, like I said, I kept checking the uh, fresh vegetables. And I have a, a Lianhua close to me, in a, which is a, gross, a local grocery chain. And I also have a city shop nearby. And I was going in there, and I was like, oh, they don't have any fresh vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, there's two things it could be. It could be either Chinese New Year, and it slows down, which it does. Oh, and another thing that had happened during Chinese New Year was a lot of restaurants were starting to close. Mm, and yes. a lot of families in Shanghai who stay behind, you know, they don't want to cook at home, so they'll go to a restaurant for their New Year meal. The restaurants were closed, so people were staying home. So I'm like, okay, that's why all the shelves are cleared of yeah. vegetables and whatnot. Gave it about a week, and slowly they started to come back, so there was no problem there with that. But things were, were shutting down completely. Bars and restaurants were closed. Yeah. I, I don't think specifically it was a mandate to close everything. But they said, you know, all the restaurants and bars have to close at 7 o'clock, but not completely closed. They could still do a lot of more doing carryout. Uh, so it was an incentive for people not to be out. Mm. Yeah. And shop, shopping malls definitely closed. And everything else closed. And they tell every mask up. Yeah. Yeah. Now for you trying to find a mask, I mean, I, I was mm-hmm. I left in fourth of February, so yep. I was here for the start of it, and I was actually supposed to go to the US. Okay. And they shut it down the day before I was I was going to leave. Yeah. They said if you've been in China in the last fourteen days, you, and you're not a US citizen, you can't go. No. So I changed my flight. Okay. Back to Australia, but before that, trying to get a mask was impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then trying to go on Taobao, 350, 400 UN for just one, not right. a packet. Right, when people were lining up at the, the pharmacies and they were just wanted it, selling one at a yeah. time. I, I was very lucky. Um, I, for some reason, I can't remember why. Oh, oh, I know. In 2013, when I was here, I had pneumonia. Mm. And I was in the hospital for seven days. Mm. So for the bad pollution days, I had actually gone to one of the big box uh, uh, hardware stores and bought back a half dozen N95 um, mm. painters, you know, masks and, and good ones. So I had a, had those. So I was living off of those for the until I was able to get uh, standard hospital masks. All right. Mm-hmm. We'll see, there you go. See, yeah. it pays to buy in bulk. You never know. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that that is, is Oddly, I was prepared. My friend uh, Yuko Kishi, the singer on the, on the album, mm. uh, she was in Japan at the time, and she returned back here, and she asked me, do you want any masks? And she brought me back, uh, you know, 150 sealed in a box. I was like, well, wow. Thanks, and I'm still still working my way through that. Right. So. Yeah, that's that's amazing. The last couple of days for me was just like I'd go out on a Friday night, mm-hmm. I'd be covered, I'd have my hoodie on, oh, yeah. I'd have the mask on, yeah. still like you, didn't know what was going on, and I would walk down one of the main streets uh, uh, in Shanghai, and normally it'd be pumping, Oh yeah, absolutely pumping on a Saturday night, like restaurants, bars, sure. uh, like music, nothing, dead, it was like, it, it, locked up, 7 o'clock at night, was the equivalent to 3 a.m. Yeah. Where it was just, you know, there's nothing. Man. There's nobody out. Mm. All the shops are closed. Thank goodness the uh, local corner Lawson stayed open throughout yeah. the whole. And I was like, every day I'd go and, you know, buy yeah. some soda water, buy some bread or, or whatever from them and smile, say hi, good to see you. 
And uh, I could see the light from the Lawsons from the win- my apartment window. Uh-huh. One time I, w- I, I looked out the window and it was kind of like, you know, a, a beacon of hope. Oh, Lawsons is gone. There's Everything's still good. <laughs> Opened my curtains. I looked. The light was out. Bro. Panicked. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Things are getting serious. Yeah. Mask up, hoodie, you know, get dressed, run down. Oh, we forgot to turn the light on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Thanks. Okay, well, let me buy some beer and whatnot. And yeah. Come, come back yeah. home. Yeah. But, yeah, it was shut down. Um, there was no, uh, no uh, corporate teaching for me at all. Mm. There were no music gigs. There was uh, nothing going on from about the beginning of February till about the end of March. Right. And like for you, were you just like off your savings or yeah. just, just like... Yeah, off, off of savings yeah. and... Uh, um, Did you do any work during that online or... No, nah. no okay. I didn't have anything, a system like that set up. So what did you do then in that uh, period? Was it writing music? Was it... Well, one of the good things was I, in like November of 2019, a friend sold me his projector. Oh, right. And so I was like, okay, it was cinema night. Yeah. <laughs> Every night. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And... Uh, also, uh, I'm a big uh, DC Comics fan. All right. You know, that was always my, my, my go-to for comic books. And I'd heard that um, Robert Patterson, Pat, Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, the guy who uh, was in the Twilight movies as the sparkly vamp, um, vampire, is going to be the new Batman. Mm. It's like, okay, well, I want to see what his acting chops are like. So I heard about this movie called The Lighthouse. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Black and white period piece of a late 19th century lighthouse. Yeah, right. Really beautiful you know, cinematography, an amazing movie about two guys locked down and going to the brink of insanity. There you go. Exactly, exactly <laughs> what I needed to see or exactly what I didn't need to see right. <laughs> during lockdown. So after that, it was, you know what I'm going to do? I've never seen a, 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 a quite a few of the... Uh, Studio Ghibli cartoons. Mm. It's like that's the most wholesome, lighthearted stuff I can think of to keep my spirits going. So I was like watching Howl's Moving Castle, watching uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. I don't, you know, you know those movies at all? No. Um, what was his famous one? Oh, uh, my friend, my neighbor Totoro. Mm. They're all yeah. Those there's he's an amazing right. uh, Japanese film. Artist, and yeah, right. so it's like, oh, these are lighthearted and friendly and nice, yeah. and great stories, not dark at all. It's like perfect. I watched them on my uh, projector yeah. and on my wall in my apartment, and that kind of got me through this. Another thing that helped me though is I'm, I'm all, I also do uh, voiceovers for video games and, mm. and uh, dub in for some Chinese soap operas. Right, how did that all come about? A uh, friend of a friend. Right. Networking connections, yeah. and uh, they were keeping the studio going. You know, they were able still to do production, hmm. but they you couldn't really get in and out of the studio. So they were able to do the on, you know, their online work and editing. Yes, but to create any new content was content was difficult. I got called to do a job. the The boss of the place says, "Hey, you know, okay, you can't come to the front gate." Meet me at the subway stop. I'll pick you up. He drives over, picks me up. He goes, okay, get in the back seat and duck on the floor. Oh. And so he drove me into his parking garage. I was hiding on the floor. <laughs> snuck me into his apartment building. Right. I did the voiceovers. 
got you know some cash for that. That yeah. was good. And then you know, he'd come back, sneak me out again. Right. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. That, so that was fun. Yeah. So mm-hmm. made it through, and then uh, the teaching gig started up again. I want to say like mid April, you know, and started to go to like uh, the the uh, Le Saf, which is a French yeast company that I go and work at. And uh, was doing some work for uh, L'Oreal Cosmetics, mm. and uh, so it's just uh, training, training for them usually. Mm. And but going in, everybody had to be socially distant. Mm. Everybody had masks on. Yes. Uh, you know, I had to uh, um, scan a QR code to get into their office. Uh, you know, um, everywhere getting QR code scanned, mm. making sure that. Uh, we have we have green codes on our phone to know show you know you know where yeah. where you've been in China or out of China, so everywhere you're going you're showing your green code. You yes. I haven't traveled. I'm here. Yeah. I'm safe, and uh, just trying to wait it out. Now now, now more recently the mm-hmm. big the big controversy, especially in Australia, has been the get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine right right i guess in america as well same yeah so did I, you get the vaccine here in china yes as soon as i heard you could get it i, I was like immediately me too like, yeah um, i felt a little dragged and tired for about two days after the first one hmm. i was like you know just not a lot of energy but also one of the warnings is they tell you to avoid caffeine and <laughs> things like so maybe right no coffee kind of pulled me down a little bit right but after the second one it's like there's no problem yeah yeah no i, I think people if they if they can get it they should yeah, get do it. it so but if they don't want yeah. to get it it's their choice well know? like the things that i hear now is that the majority of people who are getting truly sick and not surviving covid are ones who are unvaccinated so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know get the vaccine get a little sick maybe and then uh, yeah you know. long term you got to you know, right, long term right and if it's going to help us to break down yeah. the, the lockdowns, right. I'm all for it then. Open up travel, open up yeah. the world again, and let's, let's get back. Because we want to travel. I, I, yeah. It's been almost like a year now that I haven't seen my family, so I'm back on, at home. So I'm on two. It I'm just on, goes yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So um, if that's going to help me not have a quarantine in Australia, boom, right. I'm back home. So, so let's get back now. Uh, so where you're from? So you're from uh, the US of A, yeah, yeah, of course, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, yeah. right? Yeah. It's one place that I've well, I've tried to go twice now, right. and uh, I've both been stopped. Oh, I was actually mm-hmm. I was going to go to LA, then go to Chicago, right? But I keep telling you, I get I, I get told about this place about how amazing it is, mm-hmm. and like not just uh, this city but the music mm. and the atmosphere and the vibe just a lot of things that that, that come out of chicago like mm. i've heard nothing but good things born in chicago yes. so, so tell us about growing up growing up in that what, what are okay. your memories of growing up in, in chicago well i grew up on the the southwest side of the city and um, actually i'm wearing a t-shirt today that i, I was un uh, really could not believe that they made this t-shirt right because um you know they say sh- chicago is a city of neighborhoods there's wicker park and there's wrigleyville and there's uh canaryville and back of the yards and all these different you know na- famous neighborhoods river north and i grew up in a literally a one kilometer by one kilometer square neighborhood called west elsden 
there's no Elsden. There's no East Elsden. <laughs> there's no, it's just, just West Elsden. And I don't even know who this Elsden person is. Mm. So last time or two times ago, I was back there and uh, going through a, lo- a local grocery store and I saw a, a West Elsden t-shirt. I'm like, I gotta have it. I can't, I can't <laughs> not own this shirt. So so group, it's the, the Southwest side and I always like to call the, the Southwest side a... Small town in the big city. Hmm. And Illinois is the capital, right? Uh, Springfield's the capital. Illinois is the state. Oh. And, uh, um, you know, Springfield, like Simpsons, right? Right. <laughs> um, is it that Simpsons? Is that Springfield? No, I, think, I don't think they ever really said. Where right, it, yeah. It, it, no, they, no, they didn't. <laughs> I think they just tried to come up with a name of a city that was like every town USA. Yes. You know? <laughs> so we'll call it Springfield. Um, and they... Um, it's a you know it's a it's a small town. The neighborhood I I grew up in was built post World War Two. So all all the housing and every uh, was 1947. Hmm. So if you look at a map of the north side of the city of Chicago, everything north of Madison Street, there's a, a lot of angled streets, and everything north of Madison, which is like the zero line of the city dividing north and south, hmm. uh, are named. So you say, okay, you can meet me on the corner of Broadway and Diversity. Meet me on the corner of, uh, you know, North and, and Halstead. You know. And you but, do that today as well. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but the South Side, they decided to number. Mm. So it's going progressively n- numerical going further south that you go. And then going west, it's lettered. And actually, they tried to keep it even more uniform. There are sections of the city where... All the streets start with the letter K, and then the next ones, you know, they start with like a, a, a another letter, and then right. So it's like okay, well, I'm going to be on the corner of 41st and Kenmore, or you know, 57th and Kildare. Gotcha. Right? Yes. Well, I grew up in that sort of area, and um, also the south and southwest sides of the city are are blue collar. It's a blue-collar area of the city. Mm-hmm. And, um, the famous Union Stockyards I grew up uh, not too far from. They were long gone by the time I was born, but that still kind of kept the, the attitude of the hard-working blue-collar South Side. And um, both of my brothers, if I can went into um, blue-collar work. Both of them are, are uh, plumbers. And I uh, did actually go to work with one of my brothers one time, or a couple of times, and it's like, ah, no, I don't want to do this. So I was the first one of my family to go to university. Right. <laughs> so. so before that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, so, I don't want to get too far away from that. That's all right. Uh, tell us about uh, your mom and dad. Uh, were they musicians? Um, uh, like, what, what, no, what, no. What, well... What was that worth? Um, well, my father passed away when I was nine months old. My mom wasn't exactly musically inclined, but she was a great music fan. I've, I found out recently that uh, my father had taken her for her birthday to see Harry Belafonte in like wow. in the fifties. You know, when he was you know a, a star, like you know, fifth row center. And, uh, you know, um, so uh, after my, my my father had passed, my mom wanted to have noise in the house always. So she'd always have, you know, either during sports seasons would have 
you know, Chicago Bears games playing oh. or baseball games. Well, you know, the, the, my beloved White Sox on, yes. on, on wow. the on the TV or the radio. And then when that wasn't happening, there was music playing. Well, I also had my my brothers are ten years older. One's ten years older, and one's eight years older than I am. And they, you know, so. When I was born, I was born in the '65, so you know they were already listening to artists from the the late '60s, early '70s when I was five years old. So, so my oldest brother, when I was five, would have been 15. Right. He loved Jimi Hendrix. Ah. He had uh, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, and I had these these albums around the house. But with my grubby little five year old hands. You can't touch our albums, you know. <laughs> um, so, here you can have these old things. So they threw Beatles '65, the Help album, and uh, um, I think I had a copy of Ram. No, no, I, I had. I didn't get that till later. I had uh, those two albums and a handful of Beatles '45s. Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane. Hello, Goodbye, I Am the Walrus, Revolution, Hey Jude. You still have those? I still have those. Wow. But it was, I, I look at it as like my musical education for that was kind of like kids today who watch, you know, uh, the Baby Shark video over and over <laughs> again or or watch uh, Frozen and yes. over and over, you know. Hey, Mom, play Frozen again. Play Let Frozen. It go. Right. So <laughs> here I am playing Hello, Goodbye. Flip it over. I am the Walrus. Flip it over. Play Hello Goodbye. <laughs> Strawberry Fields. Only flip it over. Play Penny Lane. Over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that gave me a really good idea of melody and harmony. And, Definitely. And, and of course, singing along to them because they're very catchy songs. Catchy songs yeah. um, then I, I remember when I was ten years old, and we went. I went shopping with my mom, and she said, "Oh, you know what? You you can got you can buy an album." Okay, I'll look around. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club. Hearts Club. Beatles, yeah. Boom. Because I, 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 heard, I heard it at a friend's house. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want this. And so now education's continuing. Continuing. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but my older brother um, played guitar, but wasn't successful. And so he passed it on to the next brother, uh, and he wasn't successful with either. He played a little bass, too. But we had the guitar in the house. So I picked it up and tried to mess around with it and kind of said, okay, yeah, I can do a little bit of this. Uh, but wasn't really figuring it out. So now I'm about 12 years old and uh, it's, it's a little embarrassing story. Um, finally, my brothers had moved out and so now I got access to their albums and I absolutely adored... Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Right. And their live album, which had the the full-length version of Carnival Number no. 9. Mm. And it's, it was just mind-blowing to me. It's a half-hour-long song, and there's all these movements. So I'm in my bedroom, air-guitaring to it. Full-blast stereo. The lights flick on and off. It's my mom behind me. She says, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm playing play the music. She goes... You want to learn guitar? I'll take you to lessons. Yeah. Well. I'm like really? So like, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. So yeah. I started taking guitar lessons for a couple of years. But yeah, all right. Yeah. A couple of years, but like, did did you? 
because that's when you know when you're starting at an early age, you mm. want to be playing the gym, you want to be yep. playing those Beatles songs. Was mm-hmm. it frustrating for you, Bob? Like, um, no, because um, uh, my middle brother Steve, his his friend had a band, wow. and so he would come over and show me like riffs and and chords and things like that. So. Um, right. I still remember some of the stuff he showed me. He showed me how to play Long Distance Runaround by Yes, which was like way over my skill set. But when you're a young kid, just like, okay, I'm playing this riff. I'm playing this riff, playing this riff. And I, I still remember how to play that to this day. Now, now with the, with the White Sox, oh, okay. I want to talk about <laughs> that. So you were, you were born into the White Sox? Oh, yeah. yeah definitely... Father, grandfather, you know, Southside tradition. Right. Um, grew up close enough to the park that on some nights you could hear. Well, uh, Comiskey Park, the old park, was famous for an exploding scoreboard. Right. It was one of the. They were one of the first teams in the majors to have fireworks when a home team hit a home run. So on certain nights you could hear it. It was you know <laughs> genuinely loud. It was close enough to hear that. When I was probably about ten or eleven. I was actually allowed to go to Sunday game, afternoon games on the bus with my buddies. Mm. And a box ticket was five bucks. Yeah, right. You know, here's five, save up five bucks, get five bucks from mom, go down to the park, have a hot dog, have some popcorn, watch a ball game. Yeah. So what, what, were the, what were the early games that you went to that you can remember? Like well, uh, the play, some of the players that you saw? 70s, so it was like the knuckleballer Wilbur Wood. It was... Steve Stone, who's now their broadcaster. It was Bill Melton, the third baseman. Um, but I also sort of got my idea of, well, I got my White Sox, but also there's the, the legends and the stars of the game. So I got to go see the teams that have the stars. Oh, yeah, of so, yeah. you know, the Red Sox come to town. I see Carly Stremski and Jim Rice and all those great 1970s uh, uh, Boston teams. I saw the '77 Yankees, you know, with you know Reggie Jackson and Craig Nettles and um, Lou Pinella and all those those guys. Uh, and in fact, I saw them walk the bases loaded to get to Reggie Jackson because he you know was home run or strikeout for Reggie. Yeah, grand slam, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah. So yeah, through the '70s, the White Sox were a pretty sad team, and through most of the '80s. Right. Well, you know, they. Um, everyone in, talks about the Chicago Cubs and their lovable losers and the futility of losing, and they lo- won their last World Series in 1908 and then won their next one in 2016. Well, White Sox won in 1917 but didn't win again until 2005. That's, yeah, that's you know, a so long time between. It's almost, 100 and, almost 200, <laughs> 200 years of non-championship baseball in Chicago wow. combined. So it was, wow, damn. But they always talked Red Sox and Cubs. I was like, hey, you know, what are we, yeah, what about, Sox, we're, yeah. we're here too. Yeah, you know? yeah. When I started watching baseball, Australia, it, yeah. it was the early 90s. So it was like, um, uh, I used to love watching the, the White Sox play. One of my favorite was a pitcher, because I was a pitcher as okay. well. When I was a teenager, and it was like Roger McDowell. Oh yeah, um, I used to love watching him pitch. Um, sure, that was the nine, mid nineties team, like ninety three. Yeah, 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 that was the mid nineties. They yeah. went to the playoffs against the Blue Jays, and, and yeah, yeah, and it was like Frank Thomas, right? Oh yeah, uh, Ventura, Robert Ventura, one of my favorites. Yeah, Reigns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was that was a that was a good team. Yeah, 
coming up against the the Blue Jay team yeah. and uh, um, yeah, Joe athletics. Carter and yeah, well, yeah, those uh, late '80s, early '90s games against the Oakland A's. Tony Larusa was their manager, and they they were just knockdown drag out. One of my favorites was you know they, the the A's had the Bash Brothers. It was Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, McGuire. and yes. uh, of course Dennis Eckersley, their 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 closer. What a team that was! I I remember a game at the old old Comiskey Park in the you know, eighty eight or eighty nine, mm-hmm. and the White Sox were winning, coming into the end of the game, and and Canseco comes up, and everybody's just screaming every four letter word, oh, yeah. and just <laughs> and the whole crowd's you know just uproar. Everybody's on their feet screaming at him, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he tattoos a baseball. I mean, crack. And the whole crowd went silent because you knew this one was going to go yeah. far. <laughs> and it was a very rare feat for someone to hit it on the roof of Old Comiskey Park. And this ball was carrying and carrying and going and going and going. And we're watching and we're watching and it hooked and it went foul. But when it was climbing and going out, the crowd went dead silent. As soon as it hooked foul, <laughs> we're screaming at him again. It was amazing. So much fun. So much fun. Yeah, I'm sure you were. So you've been yelling abuse at a quite a few players over uh, the um, Another one I got, <laughs> funny you should mention, it just popped into my head. Cecil Fielder. Oh, they, yeah, Tigers. They, they, yeah. Detroit Tigers, yeah. yeah. I, I ended up getting uh, seats right behind home plate, first row, upper deck. Oh, nice. Great seats. And in, in the old days, it was only maybe about, I don't, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 feet above the plate, and so you could just kind of lean over and look at him and yell at him. Right. So me and my buddies were, you know, had a cu- couple of beers, and yeah. we're, every time he comes up, we're yelling at the top of our lungs, hey, Cecil, because he goes by Cecil Fielder. Like, uh. Cecil, hey, Cecil. <laughs> he swings and he misses. He turns and he looks right up at us. <laughs> and we all just kind of jump back and say, oh, he heard us. He heard us. <laughs> wow. So, there you go. You get an assist for each Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Ah, you can't hear. Another kicked another memory into my head. I used to work in a bar that was owned by two Chicago Bears. And we're get down the line, but since we're sticking to baseball stories, this is a baseball story. And uh, one night, this is uh, in 1988, Kent Herbeck, who was the first baseman for the Minnesota Twins. Mm. Twins are in yeah. town. He comes in. I told I was doing audio and uh, sound engineering at this bar. It was a live music club. I said, you know what? I got a bunch of drink tickets. That guy drinks for free the whole time he's here. Can't yeah. hear Just next day he goes oh for four. <laughs> nice. I got I got Ken Herbert drunk and I got him hung over and he went oh for four. I did my bit for the team. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I know that you're a White, White Sox fan. Yeah. Um, I'm a Braves fan. Right. Both um, are doing well. Yeah, both doing well. So that, that's great for... And, you know, hopefully it can happen. A White Sox-Braves sure can. A World Series. I can see it. Anything's possible. The Field of Dreams. I mean, that, that yeah. was just amazing. It was incredible. It, yeah. Finally, baseball did something right. It, yes. looked, it looked great. Uh, the, the uniforms looked great. The, the outcome was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think amazing. it... it uh, Tim Anderson, who's the second baseman for the White Sox, or no, sorry, was shortstop for the White Sox. Now, he um, been a great player, and everybody's known about him. But um, 
like the New York Mets are to the New York Yankees or the, the, the Angels are to the Dodgers, the yes. White Sox are to the Cubs. And so there are those teams that are the darlings and there's kind of like the you know, the ugly sisters. Of the yeah. So everybody in the country should know Tim Anderson. He's an amazing player, great heart, great smile, you know, strapping, handsome young man. And uh, uh, he finally did something on the, the, the national stage. Yeah, and I, yeah. Now everybody knows his name. I'm so happy for that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Look out for the White Sox. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going pretty good. They're playing some pretty good ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've only got one team uh, for the Bulls. So Bulls, basketball, Bulls yeah, as well. Yeah. I'm a little ashamed of it. I'm, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I was, you know... Their streak in the 90s. was amazing. Oh. And you could not... Could not... They were... Again, it was Beatlemania. It was Bulls yeah. mania. It, you could not... People would specifically set up times... You know, hey, no, the Bulls are on. Leave me alone. Don't talk yeah. to me. And then when, the, when... As soon as the playoffs started, everybody, you know, hunkered down and... Ordered, you know, ordered pizza and beer and sat and watched the playoff games. And yeah. we had our our heroes and we had our set of villains. You know the 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 New York Knicks, the uh, the the Detroit Pistons, of course. Yeah, hated that team. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing run to watch those guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and you even had uh, one of our Australian guys. Oh uh, yeah, Luke Longley. Longley. Yeah, yeah. He, he was featured in the. He doesn't really get a lot of um, uh, raps, like it's Jordan Pippen. Sure, but no, you couldn't have done it without him, though. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was in those teams through the yeah through the all all through that. Right. Um, yeah. Very good defensive player. So yeah, well, it takes five guys. And he's a <laughs> and, and he's very, apparently he's very quiet. It's impossible to get an interview with him. Okay. Like even with those uh, ESPN mm-hmm. uh, Michael Jordan. He wasn't it's, on there. That's right, he wasn't. You're right. Apparently, only recently, he started coming out telling his stories of okay. those 90s. And it's like, they're gold. Yeah. So I really look forward to yeah. hearing Luke Longley's... So you, uh, you did see that, that... Uh, um, I feel the dreams, what is... Yeah, the, the 30 for 30, um, No, it was uh, The Last Dance, the 10-part. Yes, Yes. Unbelievable. Oh, that was amazing, yeah. 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 And, and just knowing that, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember this. I remember this. It was just great that they were doing yeah. a documentary at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. It was It was great that they were filming everything. And like, how they still hate the Pistons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did yeah. Some, some dirty tactics to the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, basketball, I mean, I'm, I'm not very familiar with it, but having watched it then and watch it now... It, it was murder then. I mean, mm. guys, there were elbows. And, yeah, and, try, and, trying to stop Jordan. Right. Yeah. And, like, uh, one, you know, that was also Shaquille O'Neal was big in the in the game in the 90s. Mm. And one of the things was he can't hit free throws, so just hit him. Foul put, him. Foul him, push yeah. him, put him up at the line because he can't hit free throws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was the game plan. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he, he was big and strong enough sure. to still... Well, yeah. Well, I I, re- I was watching that Sunday afternoon game when he broke his first backboard. Right. <laughs> Nobody can believe it. Oh, oh great play! Oh, that's a meeting. Oh, really? Uh, one of the times in the U.S. He was oh, cool. Doing like a book signing for his uh, autobiography, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to say hello and just said I'm a huge fan. And he said, "Thank you, brother." And he signed yeah. signed my book, and it's like got to be in the right place at the right time. Sure. Eh? Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. And then the Bears. Uh, yeah. 
I found out about the Bears. I've only recently, mm. like, baseball's been my, my, my right. sport, my major league sport, but more, in the last couple of years, I've got into the fantasy. So uh-huh. I've started what, watching the basketball, and my, uh, my dad's a big gridiron fan. Sure. So, um, but Saturday Night Live, uh, oh, they yeah. used to have this skit, and I... Oh, bear. Yeah, yeah. And then they change their hat. The doubles. The doubles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's those guys. Uh, well, you know, famously, Saturday Night Live pulls people from Second City. Second City is a improv uh, comedy troupe in started in Chicago in the late sixties or late fifties, I think. Mm-hmm. Has a you know million mile long list of people who were uh, cast members there, from like Joan Rivers to. John Belushi to uh, Stephen Carell. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like years and years and years. Yeah, right. um, Colbert might have been there as well, I think. Uh, but anyway. So in that group, it was, uh, it was Mike Myers. Right, it right. Was, uh, and oh, I think Mike Myers came from the one in Canada, from the second city in Canada. Oh, he came in Canada, right, right. Right, right. And that's where Dan Aykroyd came from uh, as well. And um, so the... A lot of the writers and people who their the pedigree is from Saturday Night Live is from Chicago's Chicago. improv. Right. The Chicago accent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, uh, a true Chicago accent is you implode your ths. So instead of saying this, that, those, them, this, that, those, them. Right. <laughs> or or even so, uh, for some odd reason we say uh, some people say the number three is tree. So, hey, you, you three guys over there, you got to go over and see this. Hey, did you see that over there? Yeah, I saw that. Did you see that? Yeah. You know, so that was where duh, right. not the, duh bears come from. Right. And, and then the only thing I could figure was where the Chicago accent comes from is we had a heavy influx of Irish immigrants to Chicago. I mean, there's, I, I'm sure there's as many Irish pubs in Chicago as there are in like Dublin. You know, right. you, you know um, Gunther Murphy's and Riley's daughter and all these you know Irish named pubs, and I think with the Irish accent they sort of implode their ths too, don't they? You know, this is this is a good thing. You got yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so I think that's kind of how it evolved into the Chicago accent. Right. But I, I I've, I've been here long enough where I, mine's my Wrong English, way. my English, my my Chicago accent has flattened out where. I quite often get a few accused of being Canadian. <laughs> well, it, yeah. that, that was the one one of the few things that stand out with Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was so funny. Yeah. I, I I think that uh, Michael Jordan will win. Uh, right. you know, Chicago will win by a hundred yeah. points, and jo- Jordan will score seventy five of them. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was always also Ditka. Yeah. Hey, who would win between a hurricane and Ditka? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Ditka. Ditka, Ditka. What if the hurricane was named Ditka? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. And then uh, um, one of them, uh, Farley, Farley, who was uh, yes. from, from Chicago. Chris Farley. Um, you know, would always you know, so have, have, a, have a grab or have a heart attack and yeah. have to beat his chest to get his heart going again. That's my seventh part of the today. <laughs> today. Right, right. Uh, Baker's dozen or something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So funny. It said that you started learning guitar at 13, but, yeah. but you also started before that. Like, so you properly... Well, listening to listening to songs and then singing along with songs and then also, you know, kind of getting together with friends and singing along with friends to the Beatles records and whatnot mm. and then playing guitar. And 
my, my proficiency at guitar is, is decent. I'm a pretty good strummer. I can play leads a little bit now. But I had found out that I was a better singer than guitar player. Right. So there were some guys in my neighborhood uh, that were looking for a singer. And so, yeah, my friends were like, hey, go talk to these guys. Talk, talk to these guys. And they, they weren't too far away from where I lived. So I yeah, went and auditioned. And uh, they, I think, they, well, they, they hired me. I, I think there was a little bit of a, a question about my voice because my friends had said that, well, he's loud. He can sing loud. But I think there was a little problem with, with pitch. And I'd, so were you trained in, in vocals? No, it wasn't really. Just, I was just, just singing the records. And, yeah, yeah. And, and there's really, uh, the only other person in my family is my niece Katie, who, can, who has actually vocal talent and can sing. Uh, wow. Everybody else never even bothered. My mom, nobody else can do it. So yeah, so I, I, I get about 15 years old, started singing with these guys and really neglect, neglected my guitar skills. I, mm. learned, I learned my major, minor, and seventh chords. Yes. That's all I need to know and, and didn't progress any further with it uh, and just focused on singing. And then after a while, I said, okay, well, maybe I should take some vocal lessons. I had a vocal teacher for a little bit and she taught me a little bit about breathing and then, um, so was she like classically trained, or um, was she? Was no, she I don't know. I think she was just she was just a vocal coach. Okay. You know, she taught me all the you know uh, we'd go over scales and teach me a little bit about breathing, and. So do you have like a warm up even now? Like, um, do you warm up or are you just I, I don't, drink a beer and yeah? You know, <laughs> I don't really have a chance to warm up now, so it, it's kind of funny when I when I do sets in Shanghai, I open up with the song "Yellow" by Coldplay. Okay. Because it, it's, it's not it's not really high pitched, and as it progresses, you can start singing a little higher. Right. You know? right okay. So do that. That gets me warmed up, and then the second song I do usually it's usually back to back that and Cupid by Sam Cooke. So because then by the end of Cupid, I can start really wailing, and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. can I do this note today? Can I do this note? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay fine. Then that's the rest of my set. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, but no, I had, um, when I do some of the shows at Pearl, um, I'll. Sometimes I'll, uh, like for the ACDC show, since I'm not on stage the whole time, I'll come out and do three songs and then go sit down for a half hour. I'll grab an acoustic guitar back there and just keep singing to keep myself warm. We'll talk a little bit about that later because I'll tell you what. Put a pin in that. ACDC <laughs> yeah. is my, one of my favorite bands. Oh, yeah. And uh, I still am amazed how good you sing oh, Bon Scott. You. Cheers. You know. <laughs> Something that you, uh, you can take very lightly because he's got a very unique style of singing. So mm -hmm. to get up there and just bang it out is very yeah. good. But let's let's talk okay, about we'll, that. We'll get that. Yeah, later. yeah. So <laughs> it says here that your first band was in '81. You were the lead singer. Yeah, I was the lead singer with a, a group of neighborhood guys, and we had a really cool name called Gladiator. Oh. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had uh, two guitars, bass, Did you dress drums. Up? No, it didn't. But okay. we did uh, thematically dress. Um, well, no, no, no. No, sorry, that was another band. Uh, the band in between bands was one that we were thematic. But no, we uh, um, just were still high school, you know, high school or early high school kids right. playing uh, classic rock and pop. And so, what our, music were you playing at that stage? In that uh, Journey, Sticks, Kansas. So it was popular or not? Yeah, yeah. At, at the time, the arena yeah. rock bands, REO Speedwagon, right. you know, Midwest, you know, strong, 
still kind of on a good day. If you catch me warmed up, I can I can do a pretty good Steve Perry. Oh, yeah, still come on. Um, but you know, back in my younger days, I could you know, hey, drop of a hat, boom. Right. Hey, let's sing "Don't Stop Believing." Okay, boom, go. You know, and it'd be no problem without warming up. So uh, it was with those guys through most till like 1983. So that got the ball rolling. <clears throat> it got the ball rolling. Like, yeah, yeah. And, was, and again, like you do with Shanghai, you meet, you connect, sure, you're you network. meeting other musicians, mm-hmm. and, yeah, networking. Well, then there was a uh, um, the generation above. So like one of my brother's friends played guitar, and I knew him, and he knew another band that was touring the states, but still doing cover songs, but touring bars in the States. And they asked me to audition. I was like, yeah, I'm 18 years old. Hey, you know, why not? Let's go check it out. Yeah. Check it out. Then they, they liked me. They So I was told, okay, you got to learn these 40 songs. <laughs> and we're going to rehearse for seven days. And then we're going to go to Ponca City, Oklahoma. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And never, you know, 18 years old, never been in a bar in Oklahoma. Yeah. That'll be cool. So we rehearsed, we did it, um, and got a chance to uh, play around, play around the states. Um, wow, that's played really uh, cool. Iowa, Kansas. So this was all through the summer of 1983. Oh, one of the uh, rehearsal days was the day of my high school graduation. <laughs> yeah. Didn't care. Yeah. I'm playing music. I'm, I'm doing planning for my my future. I don't need to go and do this. I, I got the piece of paper. Not important. This is uh, important. I hung out with that band. Now, that band, I told you, they had they were called Hero. And they had a thematic uh, oh, theme. The, the Bowie sort of... No. Uh, we didn't do any Bowie. We were just doing classic rock covers and a couple of hits of the times. But the color scheme, red, black, and white. Right. Every, everything that you wear has to be red, black, and white. Right. So, or a combination thereof. And uh, played with them then through the throughout the summer, a, a couple of uh, um, county fairs and. Uh, so, uh, any any standout stories on on these first tours? Um, yeah, I mean, we we uh, going to Pensacola, Florida was a lot of fun. It was the first time I was ever in Florida. It was, you know, now, now, now it's early '80s, so yeah. like. The whole cliche is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So, um, was this happening? Or he, he, of course. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not so much on the drugs end, but right. yeah, the other two, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Partake, sure. <laughs> I mean, eighteen-year-old kid away from home, home for the yeah. first time, sure. Yeah. yeah. And girls coming to the shows. And absolutely. Yeah. Met you know nice people around, and one of, one of the nice days was. We were going to play at a water park in Wichita, Kansas, and we got in a day early, and we already had our passes, and there was a double bill of some English touring bands that, you know, national or international touring bands mm. that were playing also, going to be playing on the stage that we were going to be on for the weekday. This was the weekend, and uh, it was the, the Fix and Flock of Seagulls. All right. And I was like, oh, wow, excellent, you know. Yeah. And they were both great. They were, you know, everybody saw oh, Flock of Seagulls with crazy hair. Great band. They were an amazing band to see. So yeah, right. that was one of the standouts. Um, played, played again, played through the summer with these guys. And then towards the end of the summer, um, their lead singer that I'd replaced had a, um, evidently was making some inroads with making a record deal for himself. Mm. 
but he needed a band. Right. So, hey, I know a band he used to be with, so he called on them, and they said, you know, it was, they said it was strictly business, it wasn't personal, not my ability, they told me all these things. Um, so they said, you know, sorry, we're going to go with this guy and try and, you know, be successful, be a successful band. I can say one of the things that I do regret was uh, the, the the manager of that band had offered me. He's like, you know, Mark, we really like you. We're gonna find we can find you another band. Mm. And me being a you know headstrong, you know bullheaded eighteen year old, nineteen year old, I was like, you know, screw you. I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm, I don't need you guys. I'll find my own band. I do. But you know, didn't didn't find well found a band. But uh, turns out that. This guy, who was the manager of that band, ended up being the manager of um, Dave Matthews' band. <laughs> mm. I was like, ah, man, you know, maybe I should have listened to him. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> oh, oh, well. Yeah. So went back to Chicago, hat in hand, asked the original band that I was in from 1981, I said, guys, you know, can we get this going again and they're like yeah that's that's fine so we started playing together again and gigging in bars and, and playing high school dances and doing all that stuff back in Chicago again and it, I went to it, university too yeah so. I was just going to say that so mm-hmm. what was your major in, um, in uh, university I went to a, a place called Columbia College and not associated with Columbia University in New York but it's um, it's a, primarily a performing arts and broadcasting school mm. I went to uh, Columbia for sound engineering and and broadcasting. Wow! I wanted to be on the radio. <laughs> yeah, right. And so with so with the broadcasting and the radio, did that mix in with like the bands like um, moving forward? Well, uh, not exactly. I mean, the, the engineering stuff did a little bit, but not not too much with the radio. And did you do more touring and that? Did no. you have like more college, more university? College? I mean, we we played a, a, a little bit in Northern Illinois, um, some high schools and, and and things like that, high school dances, proms, and and but not too much actual touring. Then after that. Now, what was Chicago like in the eighties? Like, like, um, is it like like you you think of L.A. and mm-hmm. New York and you know that was. Uh, very well, interesting vibe. I think one one of the things I think we were uh, more influenced by what we were hearing than what was going on. Mm-hmm. So we were hearing the bands from the eighties, and uh, one of one of our our favorites of the the group that we had with the five of us was we loved in excess. Yeah, right. So you know, it's just wow. It's like it rocks, but it's also danceable. Okay, so we really tried. To write originals that were kind of heavy, had a great guitar solo, but also had a groove to it. Mm. And we did maybe about 15, 20 original songs that were kind of based like that, but that wasn't where music was going. Yeah. It was where music was and was at the time. Because NXS, I didn't think NXS, I mean, I knew that they had like an international success, but mm. I didn't realize how popular they were in the US. Oh, they were huge. Mm. Yeah, the. Um, uh, I think I saw them like four or five times live, wow. and they were selling out, you know, fifteen thousand seat rooms wow. in Chicago. So, mm. yeah. But uh, my boys, ACDC, they were. Oh yeah, they, they were, were doing it. Right, they were doing it ten big. years before. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I'm actually really happy about is, and I wish I could have seen this, is they were good friends with 
you get bands, you inherit bands from uh, older siblings. You know, you say, oh, this is Jimi Hendrix and Beatles and all. You inherit those, but they're not your discovery. Yeah. So, yeah, I love the Beatles and it, but my band was Cheap Trick. Right. And so, because. Great band. Right. So that's like my, my discovery. It's like, oh, this is my band. This is, my brothers don't like this and don't love these guys. These are my band. And uh, um, ACDC and Cheap Trick were great friends. There's uh-huh. tons of photographs of them on the, on, on the internet and. Touring with them, and yeah, there's a great picture of uh, Bon Scott, Robin Zander, and Bunny Carlos playing pool and drinking beer, and it's like, yeah, it's, God, I'd love to be there. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, when when Bon Scott passed, uh, Cheap Trick did a was doing a cover of Highway to Hell, Hi. and whenever I play Highway to Hell with like the Red Stars or whatever that. There's a, a, a Xander, the singer for Cheap Trick, did a little scream at the beginning that Bond didn't do. But I was like, okay, I got to do my little Cheap Trick thing, so I'll do the Xander thing and then do Highway to Hell. Right, <laughs> so, there you go. Wow. Mm. So Cheap Trick and, and ACDC, that's really cool. Yeah. So, so we're into mm. the 80s and yeah. you're, you're studying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're studying really hard. Are you enjoying, um, enjoying it? Yeah, I. I, would, I took it much more seriously than my high school education. Right. You know, right. Um, took, I was working through university, so it wasn't a full-time thing. So, you know, four hours of school, maybe in the morning, go to my job, or, you know, go to, go to my job and then go to school at night. And it took me five years to get through it, not four, but I made it, and I for sure went to that graduation because yeah. I, I worked for that one. Yeah, it worked really hard. Yeah. But, but it says here in 89 that you left the band as well. Um, yeah, well, it, I had finished university and then was, I, I, I got this job at the bar and, uh, I told you it was owned, owned by a couple of Chicago Bears yeah. and, uh, we can talk a little bit more about that. And then since I was working at this bar and then working with a couple of other bars in the North side area, I was getting inroads and networking. And so I was trying to pull the other band in to these bars and, uh, so I got a you know chance to play. Uh, the bar was called Traffic Jam. Right. In 1988, they were the number one seller of bottled Budweiser in Chicago. There was wow. no other bar. I mean, just they had um, would get just packed wall to wall to watch watch bands. Right. And in each corner of the room, they had uh, a, you know fairly attractive young ladies selling Budweiser bottles in a, a horse trough. You know, put the beers in the in the trough, spill ice across the top of it. She's got the cash. She's just popping bottles. Let's go, let's go. No wait, no lines, no wait. Just let's yeah. keep the beer moving. Um, and so in playing in these bars, um, you can say there was a little bit of musical differences. <laughs> but also, um, there was a bar in the north side of Chicago called the Kangaroo Bar. And we would get a regular gig there. We'd go and play. It would pack up wall to wall, and so the stage was small. It was too too small for a five piece band. We had mm-hmm. Keyboards, guitar, bass, drums fit in this thing. It's like, I got no place to be. So this was the early days of, of handheld wireless mics. Right. Okay, I'll get the wireless mic and I'll run around the room. You know, yeah. wherever there's space, I'll sing, and because it's small enough where I don't need monitors, I can hear the PA, and as if I don't won't get any feedback, that's what I'll do. Well. Seeing as I'm running around the room and amongst the patrons, 
man, come here, come here, come here. Here's a, here's a shot. Okay, boom. And then, you know, mid-song, do a shot. <laughs> do another shot. Drink some beer. Get hammered by the end of the show. Um, and I guess the guys in the band didn't really like that. <laughs> so I was not left, but I wanted to kind of push this more rock and roll, and they kind of wanted to go more dance, too. Oh. And it just... Partially my drinking too much, and partially also direction of where they wanted to go. Going the whole kiss, the kiss route. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, you know, or, or Peter Gabriel Genesis, or whatever, uh, you know, some, you know, just I want to yeah. do this, they want to do this. Okay, yeah. that's fine, but you know, Only the hard rock. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, but you know, or again, more experience it now. You got some experience yeah. under your belt, mm-hmm. you know, or you work, and then. It says that two years later you started a band called J for Jewels. Yeah. And now it's original music. Yeah. Not your cover, cover sets. So. Right. Well, because in, in, in hindsight, looking at this now is like thinking, yeah, well, I want to write what's kind of happening or what the future can be. And I don't want to be, mm. st- again, stuck in writing songs that are dance songs. If I want to write something that's all minor chords, mm. I'm going to write that. And it was, you know... A little bit of the, the, the grunge era was going on, but, yeah. but I wasn't, I didn't really take to grunge all that much, because to me it kind of sounded like heavy metal with a with a baritone singer. Yeah, and <laughs> some really just simple chords. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I was, you know, we'd write songs that were a little more emotional or more moody, and uh, worked with, you know, again, a bunch of great guys that I, I still talk to. In fact... I still do talk to those other guys too, and right. um, also so you were getting back to the, the bar that you, yeah, yeah. you worked at. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit yeah, about, about the, the the traffic jam bar. It was a really really popular place, and I I wanted to get my band in there. You know, it's like okay, you want to play in the popular room, sure. Yeah. I I went in and I was talking to the guy who was the sound engineer and and you know quote unquote DJ quote unquote because. They it was a rock bar, so they weren't you know, it wasn't mixing. It was like, okay, we're gonna play this song, it's gonna be upbeat and happy, but then we're just gonna like a radio station just crossfade into another song. We're not gonna match beats or anything like that. So that was you know the extent of my DJing career there. <laughs> I was talking to him and he he looked a, the guy this guy Bill Abraham looked a little a little stressed and I said, What's up? He goes, Well, my my assistant just quit. I was working delivering court transcripts for a court reporting firm uh, and I was like well you know I could work here yeah. <laughs> I was like you know uh, you know and so I talked to him a little bit and told him my background I said I got a musical background I got a little bit of Columbia College engineering background I'm comfortable around bands and microphones and you know says, yeah you're hired so, wow. I got, so I got the gig and then also got the band in too right. <laughs> so it was, you know two birds one stone there you go and a little bit of a, a, a great education on celebrity because I got a chance to meet Kevin Butler and Dan Hampton, who were the owners of the Bears. I got a, I got a chance to meet Mike Ditka. Who, wow. Well, he autographed a Bears book that I had almost to the point of, hey, can you sign this? And as he was talking to somebody, not really looking, and just kind of signed and <laughs> handed back to me. But also I got involved with, they did like a local cable access or no, local cable sports interview shows there. So I got a chance to meet Greg Maddox, oh, uh, wow. baseball pitcher, you know, 
famous cub, but then more famous Atlanta Braves. Uh, um, really nice guy. Uh, university basketball coach from DePaul University named uh, uh, Ray Meyer. Famous basketball coach in Chicago. And since I really didn't have anything to do production-wise for this show, you know, they had their own people, but we supplied the stage and the lighting and got to make sure that the stage was clean. They said, hey, just make sure that the guest of the show is taken care of. So I see this guy, he's, you know, he's got to be in his late 70s, early 80s. He's at the bar ordering drinks. And I said, you know, go up to, up to him and say, you know, Coach Meyer, my name's Mark. I'm here to help you out and get you drinks. You know, whatever you need, let me know. And he, I see him walking away with two gin and tonics. And I said, you know, well, Coach Meyer, you know, why, why, you know, I'll get you a drink. You don't need to get two. And he smiled and he goes, does a pilot fly with one wing? And he turned and he walked away from me. I'm like, fair enough, you know. <laughs> so then now I do his cocktail. So whenever he was down, I make sure he got one. He got two, actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I got a chance to, to, to meet him. I got to, the 1985 Bears, the foot, Super Bowl champion Bears, had a, a really great offensive line. Since the place was owned by the Bears, home games, we opened up at, you know, uh, 11.30 in the morning before, before the game. The, the liquor license were still as such where we couldn't open up too early. Right. But we can open up early enough to get people in to watch the game. And people would come because they knew after the game some of the players would come and hang out. Mm-hmm. Well, after the road games, though, there really wasn't that much of a, a crowd. But the players would still come in. That was kind of like a, a secret. They'd still come yeah. in and drink for free and hang out. And so we'd gone through showing the game... And so I'm there spinning records. And there's really nobody in the room, except I know some of the Bear players are in the back there. So I'm, just, I'm grabbing whatever. I'm like, oh, grab this, grab this. And playing old crazy rock songs that I like because I want to hear them loud on the, on the sound system. Like, oh, the first Devo album. Oh. Now, let me, I've never heard the song Mongoloid by Devo cranked on a sound system. Hmm. Boom, I throw it on. One of the Bears players comes running over to me. Uh oh, you know, this guy's giant. He goes, Oh man, thank you, thank you so much. I haven't heard that song since I was in university. And I was like, Turn it up a little bit then for you. There you go. Wow. That was Keith Horn. Keith Van Horn was, I think, the guy. I'm pretty sure it was him. All right. So, yeah, uh, so got to meet those uh, sports players. We did um, a couple of private events, so I got to meet some of. We did a, a, a press, um, a press meeting, I guess, for WWF, for WWE wrestling at the time in the the late eighties. Wow! So the the Million Dollar Man and uh, Hacksaw Jim Dugan and a couple other guys were in there. Got a chance to meet them, and I got autographed photos for my my nephew who was you know. Ten or something at the time. <laughs> I, uh, I, I still, I still, uh, I used to watch it as a kid. I can remember, even in like primary school, uh, I would watch uh, Andre. Actually, uh, we just worked it out. We're trying to start a, a wrestling podcast. Me and my friend. Yeah. Oh, cool. Like a side thing. My dad took me when I was. Uh, we worked it out. I was uh, six years old when the WWF come to Australia for oh, the me. first time and it was Andre the Giant. Oh yeah. That's all I can remember. Okay. Five, five, five years old. Sure, come sure. On. Well, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> so um, 
pretty memorable. Seeing Andre the Giant just come out and just like, oh yeah, massive human being. He's like three people, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Just an amazing. And ever since Mm -hmm. that time, Dad would like uh, you know uh, record it. Yeah. It was early in the morning in Australia, so okay. yeah, to be on the WrestleManias, and so yeah, that, um, I went to WrestleMania a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, so Duggan yeah. and yeah, in the eighties, yeah. oh, yeah. that was in their peak with Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan and sure, sure. Randy Savage, and yeah, yeah so. those, those those two weren't there, but like these, I guess were the the B level oh, guys. Oh, that was still still A level. Oh, oh yeah, Ted David. Actually, yeah. I think Ted Dibiase is still in it. Really? Yeah, okay. he's, he's still got something to do with it. Yeah. yeah. And now yeah. he's got his son. Sure. No, they're yeah. still they're, they're very big. So, so yeah, so that was fun. And the cool thing that I liked about seeing Jim Jim Duggan and talking to him was, you know, cameras are on. He's talking to people. He's the character. He's you know, the chunk of wood over his shoulder. And uh, as <laughs> soon as they go, hey, okay, we're done for today. Hey man, how you doing? It's really nice to meet you. He's a really, really genuinely sweet guy to talk to. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was another really great memory from working there. Another one was we started to get some national touring bands come through. Right. And again, since they brought in their own crews, I didn't have much to do except they said, "Well, you can run Spotlight." Okay. Well, you know, what's the Spotlight job? I've never done it before. Well, the main guy put the Spotlight up in him. It doesn't leave him when the song's over, just close the lens. You know, just follow the meter, follow the beat, and then when the song's done, shoo, shut it. And then we'll slowly open it up for the next song. Yeah. So I got to do Spotlight for John Hyatt, oh. if you know him, when, and it was, it was a great show. It was a band that Jason Bonham was in. Oh. So I got, yeah. a, chan- I got a chance to meet him, and it was running spot, but I, I can't remember the name of the band. He was drumming in the band. What was the other one? Oh, uh, a Meatloaf. I got a chance to do Spotlight oh, wow. for Meatloaf and met oh, him. Wow. He was, Again, a really, really genuinely nice guy. Mm. Really sweaty, but really nice guy. <laughs> so. He was a big boy, but... Yeah. Man, he had some good songs as well. Yeah, that was fun. Fun to hang, in, mm. hang around and, and give me a, a, a nice education about being around those that level of bands and entertainment. And, of course, then uh, a lot of really great local bands, Dick Holiday and the Bamboo Gang and Mr. Myers and all these, and, you know. So how, how long did you do this for? I did that for two and a half years, but then you, with with bars and, and food and beverage, you can kind of, for a lot of places, you can see sort of the writing on the wall, and the crowd started getting a little thinner, and mm. there were newer bars that opened up and were pulling the crowd away, right. and there was a little bit of shenanigans with one of the owners that, you know, we we were robbed, <laughs> and, well, we found out that the alarm system was shut off and the safe was left open. And oh, we yeah. were robbed. How oh, convenient. Yeah, yeah. So, and then uh, eventually, I'd, I'd, for some reason, the, the owner's name popped in my head. So I did a, a look up on him and found out that, yeah, he was indicted on federal charges wow. or something or another. And, it, you know, it just, it just sort of happened, you know. But um, the owners the owners were, like I said, Kevin Butler, who was uh, the place kicker uh, for the Bears, and then Dan Hampton, who was a um, def- you know, strong defensive player. And they owned, I think, a half percentage point each, and the rest of the guys who were investors were from the Chicago Board of Trade. Right. Yeah. And sorry to turn oh, it no into a bad thing, but did any of those guys have any of like, the concussion? Like, with, like, like No, but um, for sure you could see when Mike Ditka was there, he had to walk three steps to get on the stage, and he was lifting each leg. 
to get up the steps. And this was, you know, 30 years ago or whatever almost. Wow. Yeah, so. Got a chance to talk to Dan Hampton and, you know, say, what's it like? You yeah. Know? You know, like, what's it like in combat? What's, what's it like in... He said... Bashing your head into the... Yeah, he said, well, every football play is like being in a car crash. Yeah. He said, this is all the only way to explain it. It's like mm. being in a car accident. You're just... Everything's chaos and, mm. and getting smashed and flying around and... Then you you finding out recently when they're talking about the, the you know concussions and head injuries that yeah every time they go helmet to helmet it's like a you know five to ten mile an hour car hitting a wall <laughs> and you know the helmet stays solid but the brain still moves yeah. you know so yeah that was such an yeah. amazing movie well, that, that concussion movie yeah um, but I mean are, are you a rugby fan. Yeah. Okay. I, so I just watched my team get beat and they get knocked out of the semifinals yeah, rugby yeah. league. Right. Right. Australian rugby league. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's the same. Like they're even harder. They don't even have helmets. Right. Well, is there a lot of because we're we're always told that well the NFL players wear helmets and gears and uh, gear and they have you know higher level of concussions and concussion related injuries. But the rugby players don't because they don't wear helmets. They're still hiding. It's ah, okay. still It's still. Undercover. Yeah. They've got this uh, program called the Men of League. Okay. Where they sort of, once they finish league, uh, they they sort of, these, these old professional players yeah. uh, will sort of look after them uh, if they need some help financially okay. or, or sure, like, sure. Like, like with medical bills. It's like a or pension whatever. for the older yeah, players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it hasn't been cracked open. Okay. So with the U.S. and with all the people like committing suicide, sure. so it, it blew the door right. wide open. As yet, mm-hmm. in the media, but yeah. uh, they've got very very strict rules with right. uh, hit, hitting of the head, any contact with the head, sure. tackling, 